well, most people approach dieting saying that it's going to lead to weight loss. And 95% of dieters regain that weight and more within the first one to five years after they've lost weight. So, and that's just pretty much across the board. Um, so, and the, that diet, people that diet and cycle diet and continue to turn back to diet ends up, be, end up being larger in size than people that don't diet or, and, and definitely larger than when they started dieting overall. So, uh, some statistics about how people, how often or how many people are on diets. Um, 91% of college women have dieted. So that doesn't mean at one time they're dieting, but, um, that's one, one, uh, showed that. And then, uh, 40% of women are dieting at one time, 24% of men. A lot of these studies were about 10 years old too. So I don't know how to take that. I think the, some of the numbers could be higher for sure. Um, Let's see, 40 to 60% of high school girls are on diets. So I probably would say that that's likely close to how many college women are presently on a diet. They're saying you know, 91 has dieted at some point. So, Okay, and then the other thing that uh, is sort of characteristic of dieters is that these are some of the ways that I would define, like say that somebody that is on a diet or really enthralled in their diet uh, would say that they're obsessed with food, they are irritable, um, and a lot of this can kind of even by, be identified and profiled on that cycle, I would say. But uh, let's see. Apathetic and lethargic, have a low sex drive, have difficulty concentrating. They binge eat, people that diet. Uh, they have a loss of coordination, slow metabolisms, slower reaction time. So I'm thinking like driving, you know, or whatever. Um, de- depression that people that diet um, are often more susceptible to de- depression, low self-esteem, and are, um, have a higher stress level. So some of that is chicken and the egg, but definitely can definitely be the cause of it as well. So, so when we're talking about the principles of intuitive eating, it's saying, okay, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm not going to live that life. I'm going to try to find a different way to live and approach food, my body. And uh, the basic foundation of intuitive eating is listening to your body and trusting your body as something that's truly something to believe in. That's why body image is such a really good conversation for us to have. So it's saying, okay, my body tells me when I'm hungry. It stops. It tells me when I'm full. If I'm listening to it and I learn about that process, and that's what more of the principles of intuitive eating get into the details on. But it is saying my body works. I'm going to believe in it and trust that process of hearing hunger, hearing fullness, and responding to that. And then third thing I would say is it definitely involves body acceptance. And it's just saying, okay, my body might end up being a size or a shape or whatever um, that I'm not, I don't want or it doesn't fit into the ideals of our culture. But if I eat this way, the, the hope is that people can come to acceptance of that because of the way that they feel empowered because they're taking care of their body and they're listening and they're really, they're intuitive, right? They're connected with their body um, and listening to those things and believing that, okay, I'm not going to get myself in that cycle of dieting. I'm not going to do that. Um, and I'm going to, be connected to my body. Uh, one of the things that we talked a little bit about was exercise too, and that's sort of a counterpart to this is the same thing, like intuitive exercise of saying, okay, I'm going to not just feed myself in a way that feels really mine and honoring and respecting to my body, but I also will move it and do things that are joyful. So so that's kind of a summary. Anything to add for those of you that weren't here? That feels really important. Okay, so... Um, yeah, so when we think about overall, what do we hope, like, you know, when Annika and I were brainstorming about this, I mean, we, we do, we hope that 
all of us, myself included, are confident, we're comfortable, we're healthy, right? We're just comfortable and confident in our bodies and feel healthy holistically, not just in this sort of, I don't know, perfect health kind of way definition, but sort of I'm a healthy person, mind, body, and spirit. So, And uh, the body image component is a huge piece to this. So uh, I guess I want to start with a little bit, if it's okay, to maybe ask if there's any major pressing questions from last week that before we maybe dive in a little bit about the body image. Is there anything that you guys... Yes. Okay, and by, by the way, so I'm kind of... Rec- I mean, this is recording. So I don't know if you feel like, uh, you don't want your question in your voice on here, or if you can... Okay, but you guys be mindful of that. If you don't, you could, we could get note cards or something. I don't know. Or we just shut it off. That's true. That's true. Okay, I could cover it up. If for some reason you want confidentiality in that, totally feel like you can. Okay. But you're okay with it. All right. Yeah. Which section? Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Do that. Okay. Cool. Okay. Okay. Was there anything else? I just want to kind of filter to know how much time to spend on the questions of follow up from last week. So, is there anything else that was pressing that people wanted to talk about? Okay, um, so I think the thing that I would say when there's, I, I think coping with your emotions without food means that there's an uh, awareness of one's emotions, there's a growth in that aspect of one's life, and I would say it's a pretty uh, common, uh, what would I say, common characteristic of somebody that is going to have maybe lower self-esteem or develop an eating disorder, but even just like have a pattern of dieting or doing things that is that they potentially haven't been trained or taught how to feel or how to express their emotions. They're feeling, you know, but it's unfortunate, but there are a lot of homes and people that are just uncomfortable with emotion. And so I would say that that is a very, very, very common thing that I hear paralleling people having a hard time and developing issues with food because coping with your emotions without using food means that some people cope with emotions by not eating and some people cope with emotions by eating, right? And both of them, for some people, work. And so I would say, first off, the beginning point of that is not in my realm of work. So it's way more as a therapist or, you know, psychology kind of realm of going, okay, what can I understand about the way that my emotions work and what do I know about emotions? That's not the realm of the human body that I'm the expert on. So I won't necessarily venture in that, but I would say, yeah, there are certainly tools out there. I think the one of the simplest little tool I have that I've seen therapists use is just sort of a list of emotions. And it's, you know, the, they, I think the label is sort of like the negative or the positive or sort of good versus bad. And it's, it's more so what are thought to be, uh, or I know what it is, uncomfortable versus Comfortable, maybe. So things like, and this is, it just isn't true for everybody. But anyways, I think that's helpful because it gives hundreds of words about a different emotion. And so that there is an identification of going, okay, maybe I'm not always, I'm feeling something, but I have no idea what it is. So that is something that if somebody feels like I'm, I'm feeling something and I'm overwhelmed by that emotion, just saying, okay, I'm just going to eat. And that's sort of the pattern that one develops. But if somebody can discover more about their emotions and identify, oh, I'm feeling frustrated, okay, well, what is that frustration about? Yeah. All that. So that's line intervention number one, I would say. <laughs> okay, so, um, and then I would say uh, within the food realm, 
I guess I would say that still giving permission, and I spoke to this last time of saying, okay, there still is space and room for having some connection, emotional connection to food. I think it's unrealistic to, to totally wipe that out of your whole thought process that if I am, you know, if I am somewhat emotional or needing a connection with somebody that I'm never, ever, ever going to want it to be around food or involve food or, I don't know. So, and I gave this example last time for those of you that weren't there of just saying that emotional eating in my realm and my thought process involves comfort foods that you might turn to when you're saying, I'm missing this particular person. They make this one vegetable soup. I'm good. I maybe even said that last time. I don't know, but. My granny passed away. Our family always had vegetable soup at my granny's house. So my mom made the largest batch of vegetable soup ever, right? That was totally emotional eating, but it wasn't that we binged on the vegetable soup, right? We just ate it because it felt connecting to this past person. So that's, so finding a way to still say maybe there is some emotional connection to food and allow there to be a comfortable, non-overeating connection to food and emotions. So, uh, and then I think too that recognizing that when we get in the realm of emotions, it relates to relationships and environment and all those things. And that's, you know, when we're with people, we feel things. And so we're, and I mean, social stuff revolves around food a lot, right? I mean, and so recognizing that we are going to have those environments where you're excited and you're maybe celebrating, um, or you're, um, I don't know. You know, you, you are sad in, at a funeral and thinking that now, I guess, but or whatever. And there's food, and so that kind of knowing that that's okay. That's okay to have some of those things. So now, I think that most of the time when people are concerned about that, they're going, okay, but this is when I'm um, overwhelmed and I'm stressed. This is maybe a common thing from a college student. I'm overwhelmed and stressed. I need a study break, and I'm gonna I go and get something to eat, but I'm really not. So, and I would say within that, I always say, okay, it's still okay to have food be one of the options that you do in that scenario, um, but recognize can you respond to how much hunger you have, if any, you know, and if it's none, then you have a little bit of something if food is still the thing you want to do. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not like, we, I think there's just such an overemphasis on like, so yeah, eat a bowl of ice cream, you know, it's like, it's okay, it's not. I don't know. I don't want, I don't know. Um, you do a lot of worse things. I don't know. Okay. But <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so, but, um, also it's important to go, what else am I going to do in those moments of being stressed and overwhelmed and, um, thinking about like going, Oh, I just want to go to food. It's easy. It's convenient. It's cheap. It's accessible. It, it works like in college life and, and into the future it does, but especially is something that can happen. So, it's creating that list of all the other things that you can do that don't maybe involve the food too. So sometimes I'll have people in the moment. If your if your pattern is going to always be turned to food in those emotional times, it's going to be hard in the moment of emotion to not turn to the food because that's your pattern. So when you're sort of in a clear-minded moment, make a list of all the things that maybe you could do that would satisfy that five to ten, five to fifteen minute break from the stress, the overwhelmingness, and go, okay, I could organize my sock drawer if you'd like to be organized. I mean, I don't know. You know, I, you could email this person. You could write a note. You could brainstorm. I mean, some people will set up their little hobby corner in their room of scrapbooking or whatever so that then they go, okay, I need my break. I know I'm not hungry. I don't need to eat, but 
I need something, so I'm going to go. So maybe that's a longer answer than you needed, but is that good enough? Okay. All right. Great. Okay. I would, I would say it's more neutral. Like, that's the goal. Neutralizing food, neutralizing our actions with food, moving away from the sort of moralization of our behaviors with food. Yeah. Because that's something that's developed over time, how much there's that moralization. So, yeah. And in different cultures, I think, yeah. Something you said the other day about this man from India. Like, the women were not, right? It's functional, it's kind of... Yeah, yeah. So, I just, I think you that's, it, there's some of this that in, it's, I think you have to take the step, bef, like, step back to go where did those value judgments come from for each of you and as, a, as an individual? Because I think... It comes from our family system or from environments we've been a part of or whatever and going, okay, what are those things and can you break those, break out of those shells and take some of the risks because, you know, think, oh, I'm going to be judged right now if I, I know, you know, people need to be in context of going, okay, my, my family don't snack, but I'm hungry <laughs> whenever I'm with them, you know, and so then my challenge is, okay, well, bring your snacks because they're not going to prioritize that. They're not going to stop and you know, on the go, go, go vacation or whatever. So bring your granola bars and your trail mix or whatever and then snack. And that feels like I'm going to get judged by them and this is not the value that we have in this. And just kind of taking those risks to try to do something that meets your need that's listening to what, how your body works versus maybe the value that's placed. Um, is there any other follow-up question? How are you guys doing that weren't here? Are you guys feeling like you're tracking enough or it's okay? Okay. doesn't feel totally out of the blue. Okay. All right. That's how relevant this topic is, right? Okay. So the um, when we talk about the body image component of things, I have a couple little videos to show. But when I define body image, I often will say that it comes from, it's sort of how do we view, how, what's the picture or the perspective we have on our body, uh, and, and it typically is going to come from two sources. So it's either going to, I always have a mirror or a whole bunch of eyes, like all of your eyes, you know, like I, my body image could be all contingent on how you, 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 and everyone I've ever been encountered with has given me the impression that my body is, right? So it's very, it could be very contingent on others. And then, or, or it could just be my totally, totally my private experience in front of the mirror on my own, what I see, what I don't like, what I, nitpick what I experience when I see it, what I compare it to, whatever. So I think it's usually an integration of both for most people, but I think that helps to get a little bit of a context of some of the sources of it. 
And, uh, okay, why don't we play the video? The first one, do you have the onslaught one? The, okay. Oh, sorry. And cue video. No. <laughs> that didn't work so well. That's no, fine. For this time, you guys could check, take a peek at this continuum, because I'm not necessarily going to, I don't know. It could be maybe too consuming right now, but, oh, they're quick. Never mind. But, if you want to. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Good intro. we've been bombarded with for our whole life. <laughs> um, and it says, you know, talk to your daughter before the media does or before the media does, yeah. And so I think it's great. We're here to talk about it, you know. So um, I'm wondering if I should just not do – should I talk or should I ask – just let you guys ask what's relevant to all this. Yeah, I mean – Especially reaction to that, or any especially major hang-ups with sort of the body image component of all this. Those that are your own values or something. And I think a lot of that happens, I would say, too, so it's so unconsciously at that age, right? So now you're at this going, okay, I want to be conscious. I mean, that's my point, number one, is be a critical viewer of the media. But you've had, you know, almost 20 years of, almost, you know, like, you know, of or more of that. <laughs> so what do you do? So it's, it is a – so – and I, I don't know what else um, – are there any other reactions or thoughts?
And I see like what you said about it's internalized for you. I think what ends up what people communicate also is that when I said the eyes, it's like, well, it's been internalized for you and you and you. And maybe not, maybe for you, but you're really working on it. But like, okay, you're the select few, right? And then I go around, you know, and it's like, so I feel, but I can still feel bombarded by not that stuff anymore, but it's just you, like, that have been a part of this culture in this world and seem to live by this. That feels so captivating, I think. And so that's one of the hard things about it, I think, too. You know what I'm saying? So it, uh, obviously we can talk about, okay, being around people that are actually are going to love you and care for you for who you are. I mean, all those things, which we, I think Annika spoke to it kind of going, that's what everyone always hears. And you can say that. And that's one of the harder things about body image and what you wanted to make sure we didn't just do. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh, like you're yeah. Yeah. Finding a mate. Love. Yeah. Successful. One of the um, let me see if there's anything else. One of the things that I always like to, I guess, uh, focus on as sort of a how-to response to some of this stuff is okay. So that creates a real narrowness around how we think about our body and this one equation, right? Thinness is the only beginning point, like thinness or the ideal view of beauty, right? Equals all of those things. And so <clears throat> I just think the word flexibility is one a good word that I've come to to kind of feel, is feeling a replacement of going, okay, how can we be flexible with the body that we've been given? I mean, and be flexible with how it should or shouldn't be and work to have a flexibility about acceptance of it. So because, yeah, the feeling of going, okay, I'm just going to accept my body and love it and is it, it feels hard. But to have more of a pursuit of, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to allow for my body to be what it's going to be at different seasons and try with that to be accepting of what it's doing and understand it. And that's the connection of sort of being more, trusting of the body and honoring of the body and respecting of the body and connecting with the body. So much of all of that disconnects us intensely from our body. And the, there's kind of a theory within psychology called the objectification theory. And a lot of that is related to media imaging um, that we, we see that. And when you don't know the person or it's cro cropped, like, even like I, that one, the, the women dancing, it like, ah, I don't know, whatever. 
you don't see their whole bodies. I don't think there were, their heads were in that video. So you're seeing just their butt, their hips, their le- like, and there's so much of that that happens. And so we very much, we very easily can look at that and think of them as objects. And then we can do the same thing to ourselves. And so they've kind of created this theory around that and how when we do that in our own mind, it's easy then to do it for our own selves. And that's where then, you know, you can become, most women probably would have a, a quote-unquote problem area, you know, that they would say about their body, an area they're most self-conscious about in their body. And that is a, that's objectifying your body. It's sort of like cutting you into pieces and saying, this is okay, this isn't okay, I'm accepting of this. I'm, so, and it's, again, it's modeled for us in how this stuff has been fed to us. But I think to try to even just, from, I, I liked when I learned that sort of term, putting some names and words to it, but because I think in that it goes, okay, 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 okay. So I'm doing, I'm doing that. <laughs> you know, I'm focusing on that one part of my body. I am a whole body. Okay, head to toe. Well, who am I? You know, so. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> my little two-year-old's like obsessed with his little toes right now, though. It's so cute. Yeah. He gets, if he gets any lint in between them, you know. Anyway, but um, that's a side note, but. Um, so I think that's something to just kind of, I don't know, putting words to that. And, um, the, the other thing that I do believe about just general work in this realm is that it takes intentionality. So saying that we've been bombarded by all of this forever is just reality. And I said this last week, but my, my belief is that the default in our culture for women is that we're going to diet and hate our bodies. <laughs> I, I believe that this is the default. This is what will happen. But if we, you have to be really conscious. You have to talk about it, think about it, choose a different path. Uh, then potentially you're going to actually accept your body and love it. But unfortunately, the, the default is that. And I would say that for all generations that are in existence right now, you know, maybe at other times and other generations, maybe that's not the case, but I just, I just really believe that. So, so it takes work. It totally does. And it takes reversing how it's been so internalized, like you were talking about. I mean, for you, that kind of symbolism of heart, and like, you know, it takes reversing that. That's exactly this, like, everybody has to kind of find that thing, because it is, it is what's required. It's totally self-talk. <laughs> that has to happen, which is like totally a psychology kind of thing, but it, it's reality. We all need to do, we have to, we have to recondition that self-talk that happens. Um, and I'll, I'll lead into this, I don't know what time it is, can you? Anyone have a watch? Oh, wow. Okay. That went really fast. Okay. Uh, the, the other thing that I, I really believe strongly about in the work that I do and what, uh, rec- what is required also in this intentionality and changing of our thinking and self-talk is being really, 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 truly honest with yourself about how you judge other people's bodies. And this, uh, I think we have it, right? The, la- the back side. Very backside says, <clears throat> "Oh yeah, well these. Are, oh sorry. Nope, that's last year. Last week. Okay. So I'll, I'll kind of intro this, but this has a lot of uh, statements that." You know, would, would be ways that you could think or ways that you might say something that would contribute to yourself and to others' negative relationship with food and body. And one of the themes of this, I would say, is some, is weight bias or fat prejudice, however you want to kind of term that. 
Um, I mean, fat prejudice is, is a real thing. Weightism, racism, weightism, however you want to talk about it. But it's a real, real thing. So, and, and within the work that I do and people that are, are really trying to live their life among that, feeling that, having that pressure, um, and then there's sort of the population that are fearing that they would ever be in that category and be discriminated and be, you know, because they see their mom or their grandma or whatever. So it's kind of this fight with that. Um, but I do think that it takes being really honest with yourself to go, do I have these judgments? Because if I have those judgments about somebody that's larger in size, it's going to make me feel you're going to you're going to parallel some of that when you have fat on your body <laughs> and then you're also going to have potentially some reaction or some fears to becoming that and so i think there's what, some of the things that i'll read i guess on this is that uh it's just it's very fear based uh having these judgments and um and unfortunately it's very fear based out of kind of all of the obesity epidemic and where is america going and all of that which I believe to be extremely exaggerated and is actually contributing to a lot more dieting, which is actually contributing to more problems. <laughs> so it's, it's not helping at all. Um, but I think again, that just being honest with oneself. Um, so I don't know. Um, a lot of these are, some of these are related to food, but you know, I would kind of just to peruse some of these and state some of the ones that I think especially are, important um, if these are these could be contributing to somebody else's negative or yourself's relationship negative relationship with food and body so if you're admiring weight loss diets or admiring the weight loss dieting industry you're admiring um, the con rigid control of eating you criticize your own eating habits or choices um, you make neg negative comments about your own body or someone else's fatness or their body size or shape which I hear that a ton that that's started by a parent, right? So you hear a parent that makes the comment as they're driving by somebody, and then now this child says, I can't do, I can't be that for my parent. I can't be that. So, you know, we can't reverse how our parents are probably going to believe about this, but we are moving, hopefully, away from that um, and determining how we're going to believe about it. What are we going to believe? So um, support the assumption that no one should be fat. Disapproves, uh, dis just disapprove of fatness in general. Uh, and one of the, I want to side note is that sort of in this movement, using the word fat as a descriptor is really actually a pursuit. Like people within this movement are really trying to say fat is a descriptor. It's a neutral descriptor. Like it is not good or bad. There's been a moralization put to it, but a judgment that's been put to it. But we need to neutralize it. We need to say it more often. Does that make sense? And there's like curious George cartoons and there's like things within kids stuff. You've got the book that goes fat and thin, the comparison books. And you, they get introduced that way, but then there's sort of this crossover of going, oh boy, now they're at the store and they're calling this person fat. And what do we do with that as a parent? Which is probably irrelevant to you guys. It's more relevant to me. But it, it is like at that juncture to kind of say, yeah, you're right. That's true. You know, but our culture, obviously that person, most people are going to react to that negatively because of all the stigmatization that's been put on somebody of size. So anyways, but all that to say, there is sort of some, there's some pockets of this movement that say, you just need to, yes, I'm fat, you know? <laughs> so anyways, okay. Uh, disprove of fatness. Say or assume someone is being well, doing well because of weight loss. 
so that kind of categorizes somebody that's maybe <laughs> gone through cancer treatment or had a psychotic break or whatever, and they've lost weight, and then they get affirmation from their family. So I have examples of those that I know. Uh, so CIS, these next ones are really important, and you can ask clarifying questions from me since I read the research. I know, you know, but say something that presumes, presumes that a fat person wants to lose weight. Say something that presumes fat people should lose weight, or say something that presumes fat people eat too much. Um, and then admire appearances, admire slenderness, make weight important. And then so I tried to kind of identify the weight-related ones. So I don't know how that feels or if that's something that you've ever really been challenged to think about or a term that you've ever heard about, weight bias or fat prejudice, but I don't know. That's just something maybe I'd love to hear what you guys think about. But. Yeah, thinness equals, right? Thinness equals yeah. This, yeah. And then you yeah. Take all those things that you What other explanation could yeah. there be for this person's size, like it right? Mean that they yeah. Are things that yeah. Other reactions to that sort of topic or those thoughts? Yeah, that's what I, I always try to help. I, I try to challenge people to go, try to 
try to change that, you know, of going, okay, so maybe you aren't, aren't feeling great about your body, but like, so what? Like, go and get out and be social and do the things that you might do anyways in that day and see what happens. Like, do you have this horrible experience? Do, do people truly treat you, you know, because it's, a lot of times that's where the isolation happens. And so, um, but it, yeah, that, it's really, it's a good way of stating that. It just doesn't, right? Now, one of the stats is, I think it's 29 to 34% or something like that, of women dieting are actually of normal weight. So it kind of basically would be in the category of not needing to lose weight. Basically, it would probably be the, oh, well, I have the five pounds to want to lose type thing, right? And but that's, that's, that's a large percentage, actually, of all the women total that are dieting are a quarter of them are totally pursuing this with wasted energy that could be towards helping injustices. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the flip side of something that often comes up, too, in these kind of conversations is, you know, the people that are just, you know, maybe unconstitutionally naturally thin or just naturally thin, and then all the sort of experiences that they may have in culture of how they get stigmatized to, oh, wow, like, you have an eating disorder, or what do you do, and what are you eating, what are you trying, what are you, you know, and going, this is just my body, like, this is just who I am, you know. And that's frustrating, too, because they get all, they get all this, the, qualities associated with them. And that's what you're saying is like thinness doesn't necessarily equal security because that person isn't necessarily any more secure than somebody else down the street that has a larger size body. It's just that they are somehow getting all of these positive character traits by that person. So, um, yeah. So I think that also sometimes people can walk away from body image conversations hearing, okay, I need to love being bigger if that makes sense. But it's like, really, that's not, the, that's not the whole point of this conversation either. It's like, love the body that you have. <laughs> and if that is whatever size it is, like, that's the size that it should be. You know, maybe not in this exact moment, but like, when you're taking care of yourself and you have the right balance of feeding yourself and nourishing yourself in all realms, that's the body you should have. So, so. 
kind of thing that we were talking about is like you're running off the body side and you're working normal side and you're just And I was like, I don't think I care like what that is as much as how I feel about that. Oh, the thing I kind of say that often. Is it the thing I kind of say a lot? Um, <laughs> good prompt, good prompt. <laughs> no, I think I get what you're saying. Um, wait, I'm not sure how to transition, though. Uh, okay, I need to think of an example. Um, okay, so I think what you're saying is, Yeah, I guess, yeah, there's sort of a negative feedback loop. So it's if if you are feeling negative, then typically you're going to do negative things. <laughs> you know, you're going to maybe do more destructive things or more aggressive things or more things out of judgment or more things out of whatever, out of that pain that might cause more pain. <laughs> and a lot of people do think that having the negative body image so, you know what I mean by that? Just sort of like not feeling good about your body actually will motivate you to do the things that are better for you. Uh, but that is so not proven to ever be true. Um, that there's more of a negative feedback loop. And then you've got the positive feedback loop, which is what, you know, these principles and this approach hopefully is encouraging, which is, okay, I am, I'm worth it. My body works. I trust my body. I'm going to believe in it. I'm going to experiment with it. I'm going to, you know, and then, wow, look at that. It's amazing. It does, like, I have this list of all these amazing things the body does. Like, okay, now I will keep doing the thing. I'll treat it well. I will nourish it well. I will, you know, do the things that make it feel good, you know. Versus, it, that's where usually the positive things come out of. But when we're in a negative feeling about our body, it is, it's, it, it doesn't, we can't sustainably treat it well. So, um, should I read that? I think this is a really cool list of, I was going through my files today. I'm like, I have so much cool stuff. So I brought it all. No, I didn't. But, uh, okay. So this is just kind of this thing to, a, a description of what an average adult body human machine does every day. In an average, in, in a, or an average human body does in 24 hours the things that we have absolutely no control over, right? The diet industry, everything tells us you can control your body, fix it, change it, you know, mold it. Whatever, but this is this is just what it does, and it's pretty remarkable. It is totally remarkable. So, okay, your heart beats 103,689 times, your blood travels 168,000 miles, you breathe breathe 23,040 times, you inhale 438 cubic feet of air, you eat three and a quarter pounds of food, you drink 2.9 pounds of liquid. You lose in weight 7.8 pounds of waste. You perspire 1.43 pints of moisture. You give off 85.6 degrees Fahrenheit. You turn in your sleep 25 to 30 times. You speak 48,000 words. You move 750 major muscles. Your nails grow 0.000046 inches. So any mathematical person could tell me how many hundredths that is, but... I can't figure it out. Your hair grows 0.1717 inches, and you exercise 7 million brain cells. It pays to take care of the machine. There are no used parts for sale. Anyways, so I just think to kind of have that appreciation of going, it's just functioning. It's amazing. It, 
really is. <laughs> so, um, as a place of hopefully accepting and appreciation. So, um, we do have the other video, but I don't know if that feels helpful. I think it does. This is another Dove video. So Dove made that other video, but this is the other one that I think is a little bit more prevalent. That's evolution. That has the. Has everyone? Has anyone seen this one? Ryan's password, anyone? Oh my goodness. He is, does not look like that anymore. <laughs> I mean, he kind of does, but that is a long time ago. Almost two years. This helps, I think, in the realm of thinking critically, rechanging the self talk, and like understanding the reality. certainly talk through other reactions, but on the, um, what would I say, this, this page, the uh, handwritten one, uh, I would say we just kind of want to close with that. I think Annika wanted to make sure there was more to this than just love yourself, you know, and listen to your, like, I don't know, beauty is from the within or whatever. And, uh, but the reality is when I think about what truly if, if somebody is focused on body image and their weight and their body shape and size, the most important thing is to go, okay, I am more than my body, right? Like, I can't believe that my interactions with people are all about my physical self. I can't believe that I will get that job or that I will pursue success or that person is going to love me all because of this body shape and size. It has to be more than that. So there's more to me than what you see. And so this is just a little prompting of something that you could do on your own and something to... I think it helps even like in the fat prejudice kind of realm of going, okay, hey, that person, okay, they have things that they want to change about the world, you know? They have things they believe in. They, they have things that they worry about. They have things that they value, like to kind of go, okay, okay, okay. Like, these are things that are important to keep in mind. And that we each are this. And this is more of a description of more of who we are than just the physical shape and body size that we 
so you want to say something. Okay. Um, any thoughts on that? Mm, taking the object, like not being the object. Um, yeah. Mm. yeah. The other thing that I, I pointed out earlier was just this eating issues and body image continuum. And I, I think it's a pretty well done continuum of just saying, okay, so there's all the way on one left side is food's not an issue, body's totally mine, like, not ever an issue, and then all the way to eating disordered or body hate. So I think, and it gives some descriptions. I think it can be a self-assessment tool. It can be a tool that some people like to use when they're, I don't know, uh, describing to a friend maybe that they're concerned about a friend. They can use this sometimes to kind of go, I just kind of see you do some new things, and I can't help but think because it sort of fits in this category. Are you, you know, are you? I'm concerned. So it's just a tool that if we're having this conversation, it was hard to not include it some way and somehow because it's, it's not comprehensive by any means, but I do think that it can help people get a sense of where do I land. And so, just to explain that, it's not necessarily a closure moment, but so I would, um, I guess, yeah, too. I'd just say that I'm definitely available in terms of follow-up, any conversations or anything like that. I don't know. Oh yeah, so my website's on the top of that first page, so. For those of you that weren't here before, like if you ever wanted to make any contact with me about questions or follow-up or other resources or specific situations, just know that that's I'm totally available. Um, and yeah, or just you know maybe you live in a community of people that you would want to have me come and talk or something, you know, to have this conversation with you know, your sorority or your house or whatever. Just know that that's even just I've done it with like a small group of housemates, like four roommates that were just wanting to sort of talk about this stuff and having issues with it, but not really knowing how to do it, have a facilitator. So, you know, just know that I, yeah, I think this is a perfect, perfect time in life to really be engaging in these conversations because you're probably at least moving a little bit, at least away from the family structure that you've been a part of, and so you're getting reflection on what that looks like, but you still are supported by a lot of systems and communities. You're not, you know, at school or you know, different supports that are out there. Um, so I'm glad you guys came and keep thinking about it and keep wondering. So do you guys have any closer thoughts or questions or reflections? Or? Even in movies, like yeah. motion picture, yeah. So you're like, oh, that, I mean, like, he's like, oh my gosh, I just like, go for a little bit. 
They can do so much. I've had um, models speak in kind of contexts like this, Awareness Weeks and things like that, and one of the things that they say now is because all of that airbrushing and all of the adjustments are usually happening right there. So they're still having the photo shoot, but then like right next to them, they're going to see, they're seeing the alterations and it's just crazy. I mean, they're just like, it's, it's totally bizarre because they're seeing, like talk about like immediately being told what they're saying isn't going to sell, you know, I mean, it's just kind of right in your face. So, and I, we had one woman that came to SPU. I used to work over on campus SPU and did some stuff there awareness wise. And they, uh, she was a plus, plus size model. And so she talked about how it's like, I'm either too big or too small. Like, I don't know. You know, like, it's just kind of this, they do, they do all sorts of things to my body, you know, because it's kind of, she's in this realm of, she fits that profile of what the plus size model is. But then in terms of what the, they want, she did, she did, did a lot of modeling internationally, kind of speaking to some of the international conversation we talked about. And, uh, she loved it because it was less airbrushing. They just like let her be and, she said, like, Brazil, and Greece, she was, she had a lot of work in there and that, in those cultures and she loved it. It was so affirming and so positive and it wasn't as nitpicky as the American culture. So, just another thought on that. Oh, I hate it. Detest it with all of my being. I do. I totally do. So, it's just so extreme. I'm waiting for the day that somebody passes over and dies. Just waiting for that moment. Uh, they're not facilitating any type of normal habits or normal lifestyle. And they are obviously perpetuating everything that I'm against, which is <laughs> that everything is going to be happy when you're good. And constantly. For that, yeah, I mean, admiring weight loss, admiring rigid controlled eating, admiring excessive exercise. It's all about that. I just, I can't, I can't. I mean, Yeah. I've known people that have gone, so Fitness Ridge is where they, like the biggest loser, they have these places you can spend like $10,000 and go to, you know, as a lay person, you know, we didn't get on the show or whatever, but we want to go there. And it's, it's ridiculously expensive. Uh, and they, they try to integrate, like they said they actually had a class on intuitive eating. But then what's presented is totally not there. Like they, they tr they're trying to incorporate those principles, but it's, they're tr it's 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 so still masked in restrict deprive do these excessive things you're not good at you know so it just is so not effective so I would hope that it would be but it's not. so uh, it doesn't get through because it's such this grain of sand in the midst of this experience that's not anything yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. You can adapt. That's one of the drawbacks of the season of life that you're in, I would say. Because usually you're going to be living a lot among, like, the density of a lot of females at the same age and stage in your life. So I would say it's one of the hardest times with that because you can, yeah. But all that to say, it's still there at other stages of life. But I think 
honestly, it's, it's continuing to just try to work on your own self-talk and your own beliefs because you can get caught up in that and go, okay, well, that person does that. Like, but I don't want to do that. You know, I know if I do that, A, B, and C is going to happen. Um, and trying to just also not judge their decision to doing it because I think that judgment then can become, you can tweak that around and judge the fact you're not doing it. <laughs> so just trying to go, okay, all right, that's what they're going to do. You know, I mean, if you're really concerned about somebody, you can move towards concern, but um, I think the judgment piece can just become then a judgment back to yourself. So just trying to say, okay, I'm, I'm not choosing to, to limit, you know, and put these terms on my rules around food. I think the other thing is that you can set boundaries. So this is, I think within communities, that's the other thing that I believe is valuable is to try to establish some parameters and how things are talked about. So how are you as a community, if you're living with a bunch of people that are doing family me like family meals or group meals or something, how do you want to establish how you're going to talk about food? And so one of the things I say is try to be more loving and less judgmental. It's like, and often it's staying less, you know, so maybe that person is saying, oh, this is my one cupcake for the day yeah, or, or for the week or whatever. Right. And you're like, just abstain from saying that. You know, what, what's the, what's the, what are the, what is that person looking for to describe to you that that's their rule and that they're following through with it? Right? I mean, so trying to establish the fact that no, your ears aren't going to be re reactionary to it. You're not going to respond to it. You're not going to affirm it. And so within a close friendship, I think you can establish some of those boundaries in a one-on-one -on -one setting. And I would say I have created a hedge of protection around me in my world. <laughs> like I don't have friends that do that. And if they do, I'm like, ooh. You're not doing that. I mean, I, I do. I mean, it's annoying, but they just know not to do it. You know, somebody, I remember I had one of my friends, like, this is probably five or six years ago. She was talking about Madonna and all of her body and all that stuff. And I was like, seriously? And she's like, I know, Julie. I know. I know. But I want it. I want her body. You know? I mean, it was like, okay, all right. But I just, she knows and I feel good enough that she at least looks at me and is like, I know. I know. You know? And I, I just feel like for me that it's like, okay, I'm protected slightly from the fact that it's not going to penetrate, you know? So I just, I, I do encourage people to, especially within the close relationships, you, know, you can't do that in all contexts. You can't. But close relationships, long-term living situations, you can, you know? It's like, to me, it's more important than how often you're going to clean the bathroom. I'd rather have clean talk around the table, you know? So, but those things get established. I don't know. So it's hard to know how to talk about this stuff, but it's, I think it's really important too. So... I think establishing that and then identifying how it is that you'll, what you are or aren't willing to hear within your community. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like on the other one. Did you put that on this one? No, it was on last week's, but you probably saw that if you were here. But I, I was just a very few things, but it was kind of, you can still make comments about food, like, ooh, that's delicious. But what gets annoying is, ooh, this is so good. Oh, my goodness, it must be so high in fat. I shouldn't be eating it. So it's like, stop at the first sentence, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's sinful. It's decadent. It's going straight to my hips. So, um what else would it ask that I put? It was not comprehensive. I just was like, what about these? Oh, yeah, just kind of going, oh, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get some food. 
versus, oh, I'm so hungry. I shouldn't be hungry. Why? I just ate an hour ago. You know? It's like, that's not helpful either, you know? Or, oh my gosh, it looks so good, but I can't, you know, the rules that people create and the systems, then creating those and naming those, it's just not. So I think a lot of what you're talking about, I think, can be alleviated a lot by conversation and talking. So you could still watch behaviors, but so it's just staying strong, determining. And I think, too, it's determining who you are as an eater. And then if you feel more and more strongly as you're an eater and you're clear about how you eat and how you feed yourself and what works for your body, those kind of things and behaviors you notice around you are, you know, I can't remember who it was I was talking to today. Oh, yeah, it was like but they were with their mom and their sister. And they, of course, had no bun with their pork, like pork shredded pork sandwich, right? Yeah, you know, they had the no bun, you know, that's what they do, but she had the bun, you know. Um, so did the best she could with, the, you know, eating the real sandwich, but they're not probably going to change, but she's just saying, no, I'm, I like the bun. And maybe they don't like the bun. Maybe they really don't. I'm just going to let them not have the bun, but I want the bun. So anyways, so. You just do things sort of normally. Yeah. 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 Modeling. Huh. Yeah. Mm, cool. Yeah, so one of the uh, resources I put on here, no, maybe I didn't, just kidding. No, I didn't, because it's way more parenting-focused. But it is, the, this quote is done by Ellen Satter, who's a dietitian's normal eating quote. And she is more of an expert in family feeding and how to raise kids. So, And her whole philosophy is that there's a division of responsibility between parenting, with the parent's responsibility in feeding and the child's responsibility. And so the child's responsibility is how much or whether so are they going to eat, basically? But the parent's responsibility is the what, the when, and the where. So the parent is saying, okay, like, we're going to have steak and potatoes tonight for dinner. Um, we're going to have it at the table, and we're having it at 6 o'clock or whatever, right? Um, and then it's the child's responsibility to choose to eat or not. And all studies show they've put preschoolers in a room. I think it maybe said this last week, but anyways, you put preschoolers in a room, and they choose, they eat intuitively, 
over the course of like several experiences. And that's how we have to identify our eating, you know. And a child, a lot of times parents freak out, like one meal, they don't eat anything. But the reality is that if you let the child go, they will choose the balance. So what you're talking about, like just feed them what they want is way too catering. And it's not structured enough. And it's not communicating um, care and boundaries and structure that's really helpful in all realms of parenting. So that's important to do. And then... Um, but then being too rigid about it isn't good either. So what her rule is, her rule is, is that you have, uh, like a staple food on the, on the table. That's a real neutral thing. So in whatever culture it might be here, it'd probably be like bread or rolls, you know, maybe Hispanic culture would be tortillas or whatever. And you just have that kind of basic thing. And then they, a child will not go hungry. So if you just provide the staple consistently, they will eat what you feed them, pro- provide for them, or they'll eat that staple. Um, so, and they, but you have to create some structure because if they don't, you might, they're going to be, you know, 10 minutes after dinner and they're like, I'm hungry, I want A, B, and C. You have to say no, like, they have to learn that, no, this is eating time and then we might have a snack before bed. So it's the what, the when of it, so having that structure. So it's, uh, the parent still has the role of what to eat, like, or what to feed the family. And so what foods come in the house and what they feel they want to feed their family and all that stuff. But uh, her emphasis would still be to have a neutral relationship with food, no good, no bad food. But you can still, you know, so the kids are going to go and eat, I don't know, sugary cereal that maybe the mom and dad don't want to have at their house. Be like, oh, that's awesome. Like, you know, if the kid's excited about it, all right, they're excited about it. And not demean it. Um, or, you know, just have a variety of those kinds of things cycling through the house so that kid knows that those things are available. So there was, I'll, I'll, I'll say this one last thing. I did a talk with a mom's group here three weeks ago, I guess. And there was a mom that has teenagers and she said that she totally, you know, approached it this way and had that kind of neutral way of things with kids. And she says, you know, she can, Halloween comes and her teenage boys, they just have their Halloween basket of candy in their bedroom. Like, there's no monitoring necessary because they're not going to overdo it. They're not going to gorge. And she said when, like, around that, whatever, throughout their growing up years, they would have kids come over for sleepovers, and you could tell the kids' families that had restriction and deprivation in their family, she's like, literally, I'd, they'd be throwing up in the middle of the night because they're so sick from all the food because we would have a ton of food and, like, tons of all sorts of kind of things that these other families, you could tell the families that didn't have them and where the kids went overboard. So you don't want that. You want a kid that's going to be able to self-monitor. But if you do, if you just restrict and deprive, you're going to see that overindulgence because of that. So, And, I mean, a lot of people that come into my office describe the, district, the restriction and the deprivation. So... Um, so it has to, there still needs to be some pro, like structure and consistency that the parents provide. That's the what, where, and when, but it can't, it can't be depriving because otherwise it's going to create issues. So anyways, you could listen to my talk on, I think it's going to be online if you're that interested as babysitters. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Should we wrap up? I think we're, I mean, we're definitely over time, but. All right, we'll be in touch, and we don't know what, if anything, will come of any of this <laughs> here through the church and you men, but we're open to any ideas. So, yeah. Thanks for your questions. Oh, gosh.